Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome back for another version. Uh, We're here and we're going to talk today about risk, compliance, remediation, and resiliency. And I'll let my guests introduce themselves, starting with Richard Webb. Uh, Richard Webb. um, I'm an architect, uh, enterprise level, and I work uh, consulting with uh, large Fortune 2000 companies. Yeah, I'm Ruben Ortega. Glad to be here. I'm co-founder of a new technology law firm focused on uh, corporate governance, SEC work, privacy regulation, and uh, excited. And I'm Ralph Kleen, president of Lean PM. Um, my company specializes in project management and program management, as well as business preparedness. So uh, it's great to have all these guests today. These are some super talented people. We're here in our uh, studio in West Seattle today, and we'll get right into the details in just a moment. Okay, in this first episode, we're going to talk about, I'm just going to basically try to introduce the topic, and we're just going to BS about it a little bit. But um, we had our meetup uh, a few weeks ago, and one of the biggest conclusions in this topic of, in, in this area of enterprise and, and the risk and the compliance and the resiliency is that the resiliency is the thing that's different, is that the outcome or the goal that probably a lot of people are seeking is to have a resilient enterprise business. I mean, the, the enterprise doesn't need to be huge. It doesn't need to be a multinational. It could be quite small, but ultimately we're seeking about seeking resiliency. And so I just want to throw that out to uh, the, our guests here to, to talk about whether or not they agree or disagree with that idea that risk management, compliance, and remediation are these skills or things we do on the past. There are capabilities on the path their capabilities or things that we're doing in order to become more resilient. Do you guys agree with that, disagree with that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think that when we're talking about goals, we always like to start with the end uh, in mind. I think understanding that if we can get our enterprise, uh, whatever industry it's in, resilient to risk, um, we're going we're gonna to be more successful all the way around. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can talk in terms of, you know, these are the steps down the path to get to that uh, resilience, uh, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, yeah, I jump in that I think there's an over-focus on resilience. I mean, if I'm a startup, do I want to really be resilient? If I'm, a, if I'm an inventor in a garage, do I really care? Do I, do I want to talk about that? I think the real key that we're seeing is that the whole point of this is to really get to know who you are for real and get into it. So, you know, if you look at it from a miles in snow, and I'm only putting that in for the podcast, we'll be able to go study that. It was an interesting bit of work. Uh, they put together a matrix that basically has three pieces. And I just want to put this out as a frame just so we can start. But on the left, you have this idea of a prospector and innovator, right? And it could be a big company, it could be a small company, it could be a person, it could be a collection. But what do they care about? Who are they, right? Then you've got your service people, the relationship companies, the people that are in the relationship. Then you get your efficiency. I mean, Microsoft builds a cloud. AWS builds a cloud. They're, resilient is a big word. Reliability is a big word. These are big things, okay? If I'm Walmart, what do I care? Do I need all of it? Do I need pieces of it? So if you look at that matrix and you realize that there's probably a center to whatever the outcome, and I would use the outcome as the key, is the outcome. Because everyone has different outcomes. 
Resilience might be your favorite, Eric, but someone else may want a different outcome. You know, I may want to just do something different. I want to sell and get out, or I want to build something great, a product. You know, like Tom Cook just said, you know, from something that Jobs said in the keynote, try to make everybody cry, of course, was if I build a great product, I love mankind. I mean, that's a great Apple speech. So then coming down from a metrics, if you take that across the top and you go down the left and you break it into a couple pieces or you look at business level, which, you know, um, we need to look at and the economics and the value. And then we look at the industry competition, really the insights from our competitors, not that we're competing, but what do they know? What are they learning? And the other one is the cultural workforce. Certain companies care. Like if you were in Hollywood, uh, your culture of stars, which means you're an inventor and you care about the workforce. If you're Microsoft, you really economics of scale. You care about efficiency, business value, and economics. If you're Amazon, you know, you're something else. But is competition for the win, you know? Is Google doing that? I don't think so. So you look at, I'm using big companies, but even a small company, you have this little matrix, and you look at it, and then the architecture piece, I mean, because I'm an architect, we care about architecture, because they say architecture is a survival uh, technique for a business. It's actually the survival of a business is through the architecture. And we care about, you know, the function, which is innovation. We care about instrument and focus, which are our relationships. And we want to know we can leverage, you know, things, and that's efficiency. So I want to throw this out, that I think that the biggest box to auditing, compliance, risk, is people coming in the door and not knowing who they are, where they are in a matrix, as a, against their peers, and being able to say to the lawyer, to the auditor, how am I doing, save me, am I good, but yet I don't know who I am. Yeah, I really, I really like that framework. I think what it does is it, it, it's kind of the preliminary question of, you know, once I've told you what the risks are, how do you make that business decision of whether the risk is worth taking or not? And if, if, if you're in a quagmire, you're in a cloud, and you really can't see where you are in relation to other people or your competitors or even where you want your business to be, my advice um, is worthless. At that and, you point. know, from an architecture standpoint, we deal with dreams, right? We want you to come in with your alter ego, your avatar. You know, I play a game, I always play a girl, even though I'm a guy. You know, I'm, I'm always, you know, an elf because I'm skinny. When I'm act, I'm really, like, giant. So the thing is, is we have this. But the architecture loves that because that's our future. That's what we want. But when it comes to audit compliance and legal and all that, does that really matter, my dream, but what I want to be? Or does it really matter who I'm actually am? Good. I'd like to just interject something here. Uh, I think we probably should define what we mean by resilience, is that if we define resiliency as the ability of a company to sustain itself in the middle of a crisis or an emergency, and the ability to recover, then I think uh, your matrix serves very well in the context of that. Taking a strategic high-level view uh, pays big dividends. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, you could do is, of course, uh, know what your goals and objectives of your enterprise is, regardless of the size, and then determine what the risks are. And these risks could range economic, they could be political, they could be uh, legal, um, the whole gambit, the whole continuum. And uh, once you do that, you know what type of recovery actions you can take to become back to business as usual, as they call it, or normal operations. 
And, and back to Richard's framework, at the, at the center of that, Richard, I think you're trying to indicate that the, the identity or the purpose of the founder or the founding team or the organization itself or the, or the enterprise and what it does. So Ralph explains that as the goals and objectives that are set by or the vision, if you will, of the enterprise. And then from that lens of the assumption being a, a compelling vision and a reasonable set of objectives or whatever they might be, and, and then and then upon that, we realized that it might be hard to get a man to the moon or whatever their objective might be. Man to Mars maybe is a more modern thought process about a big, hairy, audacious goal. But uh, the, the risk, compliance, remediation aspects of that are still these skills that are used as tools to advise the... Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's simpler. Um, it, you know, well, I, I did some work with Disney. And working with Disney, it was really interesting. Because this was back when they were actually going to go online for the kids. And I was with a children's area building software for children online. And COPA had just come into place, you know, the Child Online Act. And so one thing I learned, and I've learned this since in every company I work with that, that I really got deep in, is every person tells me what they call the no-in scenario. It's where you clean your desk out. You go in, you take the drawer, put it in a box, and just walk out the front door and say, bye, I'm out of here. And for Disney, it was for a child predator to get in online and get their data and go after a child at home. It's a non-recoverable. Johnson & Johnson, they have their thing about trust of their brand, and if, if they harm a child, you know, these are really things that you cannot recover. No matter what you do, there is no red, there is no mediation. It's like, I'm just going to pack up my desk, throw it in a box, I've lost my job, but I've also, it's not going to work, right? We're done. And so starting with that as the frame, tells me who my audience is, who I care about, and actually what is the threat that I really have to face, really have to face. Most of the businesses of a certain type, you have to deal with yourself. It's, you know, I got my hand on the cash register, I'm taking money out because I want to pay from whatever, and you're your own predator, your own worst enemy. But the idea is, is starting at that level, even trying to go to Mars, what's the one thing? Space is bad, right? So when you listen to NASA, it's like, space sucks. It really hurts. It's the lives of the people, right? And like Carl Sagan said, when he first, before he passed, do we really need to send people? Aren't robots good enough? Space kills people. But it's not good enough for us, right? We want to see somebody bouncing around. That matters to us emotionally. So that outcome sets up all the things because it's about a human life. That is a non-win scenario. I set them up and they never get there. That's a non-recoverable. So I bring that up because starting at that base sets up, I think, a good place for a company to really get a firm handle on who they are, what they are, and what they really are facing. I'm surprised how many of us don't know that. And is that risk, harm, reputation? Is that what you're trying well, to get at? Is that, I mean, that's, you can repay it, rebrand it. But but there's something, it. But, but I feel like your point is, is about the humility side of it is, to your points about Disney, for example, that... And I'm not speaking for Disney. I'm speaking no, what I, I learned from them. I, I get it. I'm, I'm just trying to say that that um, probably part of the entrepreneur's mindset might be positive and futuristic and all the things, like you're saying, as far as architecture, all the things that they want. They want to go to Mars or whatever they want to do, the big, big hairy, audacious goal. But the question or the point that you're trying to raise is What's the... What's the no-win scenario? The, the, right. And do we have other examples that we've seen from people we've worked with uh, or other, I guess, business examples of the true 
failure modes. And then I think the other word in here is harm, is that, is that risk might occur and there's some probability of, of the harm or negative impacts that it would do. But, but then the question is whether or not the, like how bad was the actual harm? Did it, did it uh, prevent that entrepreneur for, from never being able to be a business person again? Did they, you know, go bankrupt? Did they, you know, forget about their dreams? What are the, what are the big harms or realities that people could face that we need to work with as advisors to them? Uh, well, you have to, again, I, I keep repeating the, the, the importance of scalability. And uh, for instance, uh, for the company that I retired from, um, again, not speaking for that company, but I will say this is that uh, if we have a 7.2 earthquake, which is the threshold for the disaster that could really hit a Katrina-type disaster that could hit the Puget Sound area, can your business sustain that? Because one of the things that's going to be really important is, is the ability of the community to recover itself. The recent example of Puerto Rico is a good example where the infrastructure is shot right now and the ability of the community to recover and the businesses specifically to recover become a very important uh, aspect of um, ensuring that uh, risk um, is dealt with, especially the critical risk. Uh, that's interesting, the critical risk. Because right. the 9-11 um, had to do some work for 9-11, and everybody got their 9-11 stories about what they learned. But it's interesting coming from a major company where we were you know, supporting you know, these, these business financial people, and we found it was loss of life. It didn't matter about the data. It didn't matter where the data was. It didn't matter about the server, because people would have stuff, and they'd go to a hotel, and they had no knowledge. Or it was written in like codex that nobody could read except the guy who wrote it or the gal who wrote it. And we found out that that, that was a really deep... I'm an ops guy. We came up to the ground through operational crises in this. But the issue is, is that who put that first as a no-win scenario? Everybody's trying to protect the data. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that... It was an interesting learning. I'm just putting that out. That, that, that wasn't seen. And that cost... A lot of companies do not exist today. I look at Kodak. They went to the moon... They took pictures of the moon on a rover. Where are they today? What did they not see? The future. Digital. So their vision they didn't have, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. I'm willing to take a hit on that. Mm-hmm. But I don't, why would they not make it? I mean, they had everything. They, they went to the moon. They had everything. Yet did they have the vision to deal with change and understand that transformation to a different type of thinking? You know, we can go on and on. But this is to set up kind of a frame to really get into more detail into you know, what does it mean to do risk analysis? And why even bother? Right. Well, and, and I think on, on that point, one of the, you know, we talk about critical risks, whether it's, you know, future change in technology. We go from the buggy car to the, the buggy whip manufacturers to the automobiles, right? Or, we, or, or Kodak Eastman to digital cameras, right? Or, or we're talking in terms of natural disaster Um you know what I see all the time in my industry is is people that are plagued by actual success, even oh, yeah, that's where, a great where, one. where they, their own success um, and their ideas are so you know um, you know excited and they're growing and they're and they're they're on fire and and they and they burn themselves out or their company isn't isn't set to scale um, and and those risks are real and I think that if you don't you don't put yourself in a context of you know what where do I need to be in two years where do I need to be in five years realistically who are my competitors in two and five years and what risks are 
you know, catastrophic, no-win scenarios? And what, what are risks that only auditors or lawyers really worry about? And, and I think that... Well, without risk, no, no gain, right? <laughs> and I think that most of the, uh, the, the clients, at least that I advise, um, take my, the risks that I outline for them and their business as uh, you know, somewhere in the 70% of, of uh, totality as opposed to uh, you know, a full catastrophic failure. Um, but I think some of them devalue the risk that they should be taking, like on the human side, um, because they, they haven't had that expertise, they haven't, had that, they haven't seen the vision, they haven't seen the experience. And I think that um, if they can't put my risk analysis in context with a total failure sort of an approach or a, or a catastrophic uh, environmental event, then they're not really preparing themselves to, to deal with yeah. the future. But you also got to look in context. And here's one of the things that, based upon my experience, is people who are uh, start their own business, they're really good at a narrow mm. perspective, right? They don't see the big perspective. So if they're a financial, an, a financial analyst, everything uh-huh. important is financial, right? So you got to get a, a, a multi-perspective cross-functional perspective of the environment that your organization is in, and from that, be able to prioritize the risk. Now, no individual can really do that. you got to have a collaborative team working together, especially at the higher levels. So and that, for, that usually starts about 150 people. Like, the human brain can only really hold about 150 people in it, and then it loses it. I just throw that in to show you that it's not a billion-dollar company that you can't get your so head around. I don't around. feel bad now. I have yeah, a multiple personality, and yeah, I, you no. know, I know there's... I had to throw that in, because everybody wants to, like, jump it up to the big one, but when you get 150, 200 people, that's pretty hard to get your arms around. Yeah, yeah. And well, I, you can do it, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but you can do that, at, you know, as, as a former corporate auditor. I, I can tell you that we used to go, and we'd interview a group of people mm-hmm. around the company, and and as a consequence, everybody would point the fingers at everybody yeah. else for the risk, right? But they all had a different perspective. The engineers had a perspective. The financial people, the lawyers had a perspective. The uh, information technology people. So we have to look at the overall goals and objectives that were set by the audit committee and the board of directors and try to identify which are the major risks that could impact the company. And there's two types of risks, right? There's uh, what we call the unk-unks or the unknown unknowns. These are the big earthquake that could hit at any time. Then there's the known unknowns, and those are the things that you can think about, and then you have some idea that may occur. Now, what's the probability of the ones you know about, and what are their impacts will help you focus on what you're trying to uh, direct your resilient operations. Yeah, and I think that a lot of this is driven from from the leadership side, right? That that a good a good uh, whether it's an entrepreneur or even just a good board of directors knows what they're good at, knows what they um, have vision on, whether it's financials or, or what have you, and and they know where they need to bring in help and expertise. And um, you know, always a good key with leadership, right? Is that is that they they admit what they don't know, and then they then they bring in the, the experts to help in those areas. And I think well, I'd like that's... to also underpin the idea of a full stack or a cross view. Yeah, because people are genius; they really are good at what they do when they're good at it. And it is always a blinder. There's always because it is narrow. No matter how brilliant, it's still narrow. And these systems we're working are very complex and they're very big. And now with the fractured business models and all the partner models and the outsourcing and the insourcing, and the upsourcing and the downsourcing and sourcing, it's a problem. 
is really hard because everything's cross-dimensional. And then you've got old, you got millennials, you got idiots, you got smart people, you got educated, uneducated. Good God, mm-hmm. it, it's it's cross, everything's cross-functional. Yeah, so I think that's a good segue into the the next episode. So this has been a, a conversation about kind of introducing the risk topic and um, just kind of unpacking different ideas and perspectives and and how. Um, one of the most fundamental thing that people need to face first is themselves and kind of start from there. You've been listening to the Abstract Podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to appsjack.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic and the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com, S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com. Thank you.